Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Zach Helmaniak, co-founder and CEO of Nomadics. If you have been in an REI recently, you may have seen towels that have some really awesome designs. And these are Nomadics towels. They've been leading the charge in creating a better towel that also is better for the planet. So let's dive into the conversation with Zach and hear their story. Thanks for being a part of this podcast today. Um, I'm I'm excited to talk to you and and kind of learn your story. I came across Nomadics Towels actually with with my buddy. We were on a trip last year, and he was like, "Dude, have you have you seen this company? Um, they they make this awesome towel out of." out of plastic water bottles, like it is the coolest thing ever. Um, you got to check these guys out. And so that was when I first experienced you guys. And I mean, it, it seems like you guys have kind of been on, on an upswing, but I'd love to hear about, you know, your story. How'd you eventually decide to co-found this company with what, what's kind of your background? So, yeah, I mean the, the, uh, the genesis of it actually started when we were living in Colorado as e-bums. And, um, so it was me and my, my two partners, one of them was my Craigslist roommate. And then the other one was dating a friend of ours at the time. And we started going on camping trips while we were, um, while we were working at the mountain. And then at the end of our season, we decided to go on this really long camping trip through the deserts of Utah, um, and go towards California. And, we were in this 1998 Subaru that was packed to the gills with all of our ski equipment, literally all the clothes that I owned, and then also our camping gear. And we were just looking at this at this packed Subaru and saying like, hey, we could probably like design gear that was more multifunctional than what we have in this car so that you don't need to own, you know, so many different jackets and so many different types of shoes and etc and we just got really into like the gear curation and wanted our our kits to be you know dialed so that we could go anywhere and do anything we wanted and we wouldn't have to carry so much stuff so that's how we came up with the ethos of own less do more and when we started looking at products that would fit this model and and solve this problem the towel was actually a really interesting one that that was one of the biggest problems. So if you were going to do yoga, you could get a yoga towel, but it had dots on the bottom. And so you couldn't, you didn't want to dry off with it. You didn't want to take it to the beach. If you had a beach towel, it was like a big cotton towel that absorbed water and, and also sand and was huge. So you couldn't pack it and take it elsewhere. And then if you had a travel towel, um, you know, back at this time, it was only those micro fiber kind of chamois towels yeah. yeah exactly it's like a blue square yeah and um, if you took those on on more than one trip you notice that they got totally disgusting and uh and were you know not comfortable to dry off with and so we started developing a towel that could hit all three of those categories yoga travel and beach and we found that a towel that could do all three of those things could really do anything mm-hmm that's super cool. And was your, what kind of like got you into that type of thought process and, and going on a ski trip? Like what's a little bit of your background as a, as a person, where are you originally from and, and kind of how did you end up where you were when you were ski bumming through Colorado? Sure. 
So I, um, I'm originally from Northern Virginia and uh, like the DC area. And I grew up in the suburbs there, had a fairly standard suburban lifestyle. Like I was not like an outdoorsy kid necessarily. I, I went on camping trips, but I didn't like have all my equipment for instance and that kind of thing. Um, so I was playing sports and, and uh, really just focused on sports growing up. And uh, my first real exposure to, you know, these other types of activities was in Colorado where I started out as a beginner skier. And by the end I could do black diamonds and all that kind of stuff. So that was like my first mountain experience. And then I had never really camped in the desert until we were in Utah. And I had never been to California until we, you know, reached the, the Pacific during that trip. So what inspired this, this trip to Colorado? I mean, coming, coming from Virginia, what, what was kind of that? Was it just like, Hey, let's go ski for a season or that originally started because I was, um, I was studying abroad in college in Barcelona. And, um, during that trip, I took side trips to all other types of areas. I went to 13 different countries, I think during that time. And a couple of the areas were Morocco. And then I also went to Turkey. And at that time, George Bush was president and the sentiment towards Americans in Europe and also in those more Muslim regions was not good. Like we, there was a lot of Americans that were with us that were telling people they were Canadians because if you were American, it would like start an argument essentially mm -hmm. is, it was my experience. And so, um, and so when I got back, I thought, the best thing that I could do to solve that problem that affected me directly was to work on Obama's campaign. And mm -hmm. so I went out with a friend to Colorado, worked on Obama's campaign out in Morrison County, Colorado, and um, lived in Evergreen during that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were full-time volunteers. And then at the end of the campaign, you know, Obama won, everything was great. And we were like, what do we do now? And so me and that friend drove out to Vail and just started walking into ski shops and saying, hey, do you have any work for the winter? And they made us assistant managers uh, <laughs> on the spot. We had no experience like fitting skis or or like, you know, telling people what length of ski to get or how to adjust them or anything. And they just gave us manager jobs right on the spot. Oh, that's so awesome. That's that's super cool. And, and Vail, no less, like it's it's beautiful up there and, and skiing that mountain's incredible. There's there's nothing like it. Yeah, absolutely. The culture in, so I worked at Beaver Creek and like Chase, for instance, uh, my co-founder worked at Vail and mm -hmm. um, the culture there of like ski bum life and bartering for everything. And, you know, waking up, I would wake up at 6am and walk uphill up the mountain in the snow because the buses weren't running yet so it's like one of those you know <laughs> uphill both ways <laughs> exactly but yeah it was like you know it was like zero degrees 6 a.m walking up the mountain to work every day and uh it was yeah it was like a really amazing time for sure what what was that kind of like for you to to have that experience. I mean, you, you come from kind of a, a suburban traveling background, but suddenly you're just like, this is, I'm, I'm literally immersed in nature every single day. And just, this is what I'm doing. Like, how did that feel for you? Felt really good. I mean, kind of felt like natural to adopt a, 
a lifestyle in the mountains. In no way did I feel like a fish out of water. I, it was just like totally fun for me. And I like following these expert skiers. My friends were experts and I would just follow them everywhere on the mountain and we'd be going through trees and we'd be going, you know, off the trail, like down these uh, runs that only locals knew where they were. And um, it just, it was like, uh, you, you just really felt like you were out there in nature. And that was the first time I had experienced that. And it felt really good. That's really, really cool. So when you guys were sitting there and you're like, okay, outdoor gear, towel, how did you go about even trying to solve the problem? Like, what was the first step? Was it, was it material research? Was it what makes a towel not good? What, I mean, what was that process like when you guys are starting to think about how do we solve that problem? Yeah. So, I mean, it was like a pretty classic bootstrap entrepreneur story. So my partner, Chase, he is the product guy, he's the designer. And so he started, you know, he had criteria that he laid out for the towel and um, in terms of like, it can't stretch because it needs to be good for yoga. It needs to be this absorbent sand needs to react to it this way. And so he started um, working with factories overseas and because we wanted to make it out of uh, certified post-consumer recycled plastics too, which at the time were, I mean, you can't, you still can't make the fabric that we make here in the States. The, the equipment's not here and the, and the raw material is not here. Yeah. And why that decision to, to, I mean, it, now you see a lot of products that are made of post-recycle material but you know when you guys started doing it that that wasn't common what what was that decision to do that because i mean i would imagine it would have been easier to do it if you didn't do it that way yeah it, it definitely would have been easier it would have been cheaper you could have gotten probably a better product at that time but the origin of the company is something that is close to nature we appreciate nature we appreciate the places that we go recreate and so for us, I don't think it was ever really an option to not go as eco-friendly a route as we could. You know, the, I mean, own less, do more is also a statement on overconsumption and consumerism. And so, you know, for that, that was something that we, we were minimalists. We are one backpack type people when we go on trips. And so um, to create something that wasn't in line with that didn't make sense to us. And so we, we made a very quick decision about that and decided to go for not just recycled, but you know, our, the material that we get is certified post-consumer recycled, um, which is an important distinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to dive a little bit more into that distinction, because I think you know, for, for people that aren't as familiar with buying products or any type of eco-friendly alternative material space, it's very easy to be confused and there's a lot of subtlety in it. Um, I'd love if you could dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So I think that, so when we work with our suppliers, we look for suppliers that are certifying their raw materials and, and their, their finished goods that they have a certification that says that it is post-consumer, meaning that this was trash essentially, you know, it was recycled, it was used water bottles, for instance. And I think it, if you're not doing, and that's the bare minimum in my opinion. So if you're not doing that and making sure you're getting 
you know, materials certified and checking the sources, then um, it's possible that, you know, recycled in, in their eyes could mean they made plastic bottles and then broke them down and they were never post-consumer. I, you know, truthfully, I, I don't know all the different tricks and, and things that could be involved in, in, uh, you know, greenwashing along the manufacturing process, but that's, that's one thing that we have heard from our suppliers and that's why we go for suppliers that have certifications. Nice. Yeah. And so you guys were kind of like, okay, you found your supplier and then now what you guys actually have to start a company. Had any of you guys started a company before? At the time of the, of the Kickstarter campaign, um, we had all worked for small businesses and had been kind of at the close to the ownership level of, of other small businesses. So we had a good sense for how it, it works. Um, but I don't believe any of us had started businesses before at that time, but we, you know, when we, when we started, uh, you know, we sourced the material, we, we got the product and we, we launched on Kickstarter. And up until that point, we weren't even sure if there was going to be a business, right. Because, you know, it, it might not work. And Kickstarter at that time was a very different animal. Um, we didn't pay a, a penny for advertising. We didn't have a penny to spend on advertising. <laughs> and we ended up on the Kickstarter homepage um, organically because, you know, the, the Kickstarter audience liked the product. Whereas, you know, now my understanding is like people spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on marketing their Kickstarter campaigns. And it's just a very different thing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Def- and yeah, Kickstarter. I mean, I remember when it first started, it was, it was very scrappy. Like it was, it was all audience based. And if you landed that homepage, like that was huge. I mean, do you, you guys remember just that campaign? Cause I mean, most, most of the time it's kind of like a 30 day sprint where you're like, oh man, let's just, let's just go ham and do whatever we can. Um, what were those days like as you guys were, were building this? Cause I mean, you guys were just kind of like, Hey, let's see if this product will stick. And Let's try it. Yeah. So at the time, it was actually a very exciting time in our lives. So I was living in in Washington D.C. I was a State Department contractor, and uh, I had a really cool job. I was uh, traveling to embassies abroad and consulting them on their passport systems. So I would go to Central Asia, I would go to East Asia, I'd go to South America, and then that contract took us off the road for because they wanted to green the contract and stop flying so much. And so coincidentally, right when that happened, Chase and Hunter were out in California and they said, hey, remember that idea we've been talking about? Well, we think it's time to to give it a go. So I flew out to California and we basically started started the the video and the shoot and sampling and photoing and you know everything involved with that. And I remember I had a prearranged trip to go to Europe and uh, we were editing the video the night before and we were like, you know, this is, and and I was the video editor at this time. And, <laughs> you know, it's like midnight and, and me and Chase are sitting there and we were like, you know what, this is just as good as it's going to get. And we press submit and the next day I woke up early and I flew to Europe and I didn't necessarily think that anything was going to come from it you know I thought you know it was a uh I thought it was kind of a long shot that you know people were going to like buy a lot of these towels and 
And uh, I remember checking the Kickstarter when I was in Poland and it had beat its record or beat the funding goal. And, you know, thinking like, oh, wow, you know, when I go home, we, we really have to figure out how to make all these towels. <laughs> yeah. What was your original funding goal and what, it, what did it kind of end up being in the long term? Um, man, that is actually a great question that I don't remember. I want to say, I want to say that it was around 20 or $30,000 mm-hmm. and we ended up raising a hundred and something thousand between Kickstarter and, uh, Indiegogo. So we basically tripled our, I, I believe we tripled or quadrupled our production that we intended to do. And then we had extra stock to start trying to sell to stores. Yeah. Wow. That's super. Do you remember? So when you guys actually got your first shipment, I mean, you guys have so many designs now um, and and so many different product lines. What was the original product line? Was it just a a plain color and that's what it was? What what did it kind of start with? Um, So I I believe it was four or five um, designs. And they were travel-inspired prints, and a few of them are still in the um, assortment today. So we have a Baja kind of Mexican blanket-looking towel that is still on the line today, and uh, a print called Mud Cloth, which is still on the line today. So yeah, we had those. We had those four or five towels that were on the Kickstarter campaign, and um, we ended up selling them for a long time, just in the wholesale channel. Um, and then we also made these shirts that said damn hippie on them and uh those were like the add-on gifts and we gave those away at like events for a long time after that so like if you saw us at wanderlust festival in squaw valley um then you would have you know gotten a damn hippie tank with your purchase so did you guys kind of stick on on kind of your your marketing side and and kind of growing your audience was it was it purely that outdoor audience or was it more you know you're going after the ski and then the surf and then the yoga like was there a strategy or was it or was it just kind of like let's just get it out there and see how many people love it like it and share it and we'll just take it from there Well we always had a few core audiences that we knew that we had in our customer base and one was yoga because it was advertised as a yoga towel and yogis use towels like a lot of them like yogis have like five of these towels that they put on their yoga mat every you know every day of the week so that was a big audience for us at first and then um beach and surf is just kind of like an obvious audience because it's a towel and so that's grown a lot with us and then outdoor was our, that's what was like near and dear to our heart. And our goal was to always get into REI. When we were on the road trip, we would, you know, stop in every REI we saw and, you know, buy some piece of camping gear that, you know, we, we had been missing like a stove or a titanium cup or, you know, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And so those were our, our core audiences and they, and they really are still, still pretty core to our audience a yoga beach outdoor and then since then we've expanded into different audiences like boating for instance is a really great audience for us because the towel is packable you can fit more of them on your boat and then all the other you know quick dry and absorbency and that kind of thing 
Yeah, what what makes the towel so good? Like, I mean, I mean, it. So from firsthand experience, it's a phenomenal towel. Like, it's it's amazing, and you're almost like, is this magic? Like, how does it how does it work? But like, what? Yeah, what is it that makes it so good and and such a differentiating product in the market? Yeah, so we came up with this um, this blend of material um, after a lot of trial and error, and what we landed on was a, a material we call micro terry, and basically what that is is it is it's woven to mimic a terry towel, but it has really tiny loops in it, and so what that does is it it allows it to be absorbent, but it's also thinner than a terry towel, so it the water can evaporate more easily so it dries quicker and then also the there's like some strength and anti-sand and anti-dirt properties to the way that it's woven that you know allow it to be something a little bit different than any other towel out there Um, and then another thing that's really like the unsung hero of the towel attributes is that because it's quick dry and for whatever reason, our our blend of material, it just doesn't stink like a lot of other uh, similar products and similar recycled polyester products. And so you can really go a pretty long time without washing it. And you can like if you go surfing and throw it in your truck afterwards, it's it's not the same. Uh, result is throwing a different like cotton towel in your truck which is always the worst that's the worst you're like oh man i gotta wash this this is horrible so i mean now you guys are in rei i mean what was that kind of distribution like i know you guys go direct to consumer i know you have wholesale where are you guys actually available and sold and and what did that building process look like for you guys because it definitely wasn't overnight that you got an rei but i was imagine. I would imagine there was a little bit of a party thrown when that when that deal came through. Yeah, I mean, there's been many moments where where we celebrated a win like that, and then you know the next day you're back at it and realize you have a new goal. But as of today, we're in a few major retailers that I'll name are are like REI, uh, West Marine for the boating audience, and then we're in board rider stores. So if you go to Hawaii, we're in Honolulu surf shop, for instance. And so those are some of the the bigger retailers that we're in. And then we're also in the trendy specialty retail stores in lots of towns all over America. We have a rep rep groups in every state. And so yeah, we're we're available lots more places um, this year than we were last year. And uh and the same goes for the year before. We we definitely bootstrapped the the growth of the company. You know, we didn't bring on major investments. We um, we barely spent any money on marketing. It was a very word of mouth. Um, when we saw a good rep, we would hire the rep to service their region. But yeah, it took a it took a long time. And now we have a really outstanding rep force and and. I get texts almost daily from friends around the country that say, you know, Hey, you're in my local yoga studio or my local surf shop. And it's really cool to see it's, it feels so different than it did, you know, a few years ago. Have you, have you seen one just out and about town where you don't know the person, you don't know anything and you're like, Hey, that's, that's our towel. Do you remember the first time that that happened? Oh man. I don't remember the first time it happened, but it happens all the time now because we have more 
there was there was once a time where every sale was was going through myself or one of my partners and now we have you know in-house uh sales and sales reps and we have a, a custom products team and so i it happens all the time that I see a product that I didn't know was was in that store or a brand has a custom product that I didn't know we we made. So yeah, it happens all the time and it's it's uh it's really cool every time still. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and what do you what are you guys kind of looking to do in in the future with the brand? What are what are kind of the goals of the brand? Do you guys want to expand into more things into that gear lifestyle that you guys started with? Yeah, I think um, so. Our priorities uh, today, because we're actually a lot smaller company than probably people think we are, is to we're we're really you know building for the future, and part of that is to keep building on on towels and and the products that we have. So we have blankets and and towels and ponchos, and um, we're growing really fast in all those categories, and so we're going to keep growing short term in those categories and you know we we've hired a bunch of people this year we'll probably hire more people we're going to invest more in marketing so growing the company as you see it today is is uh is the short term goal but we do have some ideas for other other products that once our customer base uh decides they want those things from us then we will uh We'll, we'll walk down that road but i don't have anything i can i can share today unfortunately totally still still in the still in the think tank and the and the r&d and the and the brains of you guys i bet yeah but i i will say uh keep keep watching because we will have something in the future that's awesome so when it comes to designs um i mean i've towel design has it has been a thing for a little while especially more on like the cotton beach towel side of things um not so much in the you know yoga or anything like that when you guys think about doing designs i mean you mentioned that you know one of your original ones they're all inspired by nature is that is that something that's always in the design process for you guys yeah so i'll say the design process has evolved a lot over time because you know we have these core bestsellers that that always sell and they're in our major retailers and we'll, we try to never go out of stock of them. But then every season, our audience and our retailers also expect something a little bit fresh. And so we have a few different categories that, that we focus on to expand in each, each season. So like we have a line of, of basic uh, color carriers, which are, you know, the new colors for the season. It might be a similar print that you saw before but it's like some, some of your more classic stripes and, and those kind of things in a new colorway. And then we have some of the more lifestyle trendy prints that we try to get in there and we test them out. Sometimes they're um, really popular. So that might be like the florals and, you know, still, still like earthy and still along the lines of nomadics, but um, we can kind of like uh, get more creative and, and stretch the bounds of our design there a little bit. And then we then we also you know dive into um, some other interesting things like we have a camo pattern that actually Patagonia requested we make a while ago and we had camo ponchos in, in Patagonia and uh, so that kind of stuck around for a little while so yeah it it's uh, it's a it's a constant design process we're designing the new season at all times once we finish designing one 
we're designing the next one. Um, we're also designing like collab and limited release projects all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, we do try to stay true to our design aesthetic. And if you look at, I don't know if everyone can tell, but when you look at Nomadic's designs all in a line and you compare them to some other uh, companies, you can tell that it's a Nomadic's pattern. Like we could we could pick it out if, if you showed a lineup and they're all designed in-house for the most part. Chase, our co-founders, is still our uh, principal designer. And then we also have a couple other designers that we work with, but everything is designed, you know, in-house. It's a nomadics pattern. And uh, so there's like a an aesthetic to that. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, if I... We, we didn't actually dive into this yet. No, nomadics as a name and and kind of, you know, why the logo design and 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 why the branding? What what was kind of that thought process? Was there was there just kind of a conversation where you guys just threw a bunch of names on a whiteboard and were like, yeah, let's do that one? Yeah, so um, the name nomadics came from, from the root word, which is nomad. And um, that actually was... Uh, because of the way we were living at the time. Um, I mean, for the first few years of Nomadics, even when we were pitching REI, you know, me, me and Chase were living in South America and working from coffee shops and everything was being sent out of um, either Hunter's Garage or, or Amazon. <laughs> and uh, so we were, you know, we weren't nomadic people, but we were living like that digital nomad lifestyle for a little bit and had very minimal belongings and so nomadics kind of fit that that lifestyle that we were actually living so the logo and the branding if you uh it our logo is a diamond and the bottom of the diamond has some uh negative space which is like basically some dashes out of it and uh, that stands for um either a mountain or an island and then it's reflected in water so it's a mountain and then on the bottom is the reflection in water. And that's to basically symbolize the brand's connection to the environment and to adventure travel and kind of where, where everything started. That's, that's so awesome. And, and you can definitely see that in the logo. Like even, even if, you know, you don't have to go that deep, you can look at it and you can kind of get that, get that feeling and emotion from it, which I think is, it's super important. I mean, to it's, it's becoming a part of nature, it's being in nature and, it's inspired and made from people's trash, which I think is, is so cool. Um, what, what's, what's your favorite part of the process? I mean, what, what do you value every single day about what you're doing? Well, first of all, I'm really, I'm really, uh, excited to build, um, the company, the way that we feel a company should be built. So there's all these, um, you know, especially with, the environmental issues that we see very tangibly these days, like wildfires and sea level rise and climate crisis and all this stuff. There's just some things that we feel are, are should be basic moving forward for companies. And we get the opportunity to do those things. And so um, as owners and, and as the CEO, I'm really excited that we're a social purpose corporation and we can put so that's a Washington designation, uh, Washington State Social Purpose Corporation. And we can put environmental causes and social causes right into our articles of incorporation so that if investors come along, we'll never be beholden to them to 
reduce our standards, um, for instance. Um, so that's a special thing that we get to do. We're 1% for the planet members. So 1% of our sales go back to cool organizations like Conservation Alliance um, to protect lots of different land conservation projects around the country. So th those things are really cool. We also just pledged to become climate neutral. We'll become climate neutral next April in time for Earth Day. And so, you know, building the company like that, and there's all these little things that we do also alongside of that, that, that really excite us. Um, one thing that we just started doing is one of our 1% beneficiaries is um, the Ecology Center, which is a, it's the only organic farm left in Orange County, California, as I understand it. It's right down the street yeah. from us. And so we, we give these farm boxes, they have uh, families that are that don't have access to good food. And so you can sponsor these families. And so we've sponsored uh, five families this year to get farm boxes all year. Um, and then we also internally have, we subsidize a farm box for all of our employees. So if you're an employee at Nomadics and you want to get the farm box, then you, you only have to pay, I think it's 12 bucks a month or something like that to get fresh organic vegetables delivered to the office. You pick it up at the office and then you can take it home. So it's a really cool, you know, local thing that we get to do. It's a cool thing for our employees and it's like a better health insurance plan. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's access to really, really good nourishing food. And I mean, the fact that you guys put that, all of that into your business model too, I think is, is so important because it, 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 it's a guiding it's almost like a guiding principle for, for how you guys can navigate any challenge that comes up. Cause as you guys grow, I mean, challenges come up in any business. Um, but it kind of keeps you guys where you, where you want to be and where you want to take the company. And I think that's, that's hugely important, especially when it comes to you're helping solve bigger problems. I mean, you're, you're taking trash, making it into a product, but then you're also on the other side of it, you're supporting the local community. And I think that's a, that's a part that's not focused on as much, I think in, in a, in a positive way is, is the idea of locality, keeping, keeping whatever you can local and, and giving back to your community and, and keeping your community healthy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's what we need to do to make improvements in, in the climate crisis tangible for people. It's uh, saying that we need to stop the temperature from rising is too intangible. I think supporting a local farm and getting people to eat food that is healthy for themselves and the planet is a way more um, achievable method of getting people to make a change in their lives. So yeah, it's, it's really important. And uh, it's that, those are the things that we get excited about um, as owners is getting to do things like that. Also, I, I should mention when, when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of tough choices to make because we had customers that were closing their doors. We had customers that just literally sent us emails and said, Hey, we're not paying our bills for the foreseeable future. And, um, you know, we have to decide as a business what to do with that. And one of the, the decisions we made was to, to stick by our employees and, keep everyone for as long as we possibly could. And we, we did that and everyone at our, on our team refocused their energies on things that would help us through the, through that particular crisis. And so there was people who were going in and shipping who didn't normally ship or people were, you know, focused on 
helping collect AR and that kind of stuff. And um, that that was something that as as owners, it felt really important, but that was like, uh, I would have felt way worse if we had to get rid of people. And so being able to keep everyone during that time was something that we felt really good about. That's, that's incredible. And, and congrats to you guys for, for being able to make it through that and, and support your team. I think that that speaks to what you guys as owners stand for and who you support. And I mean, the, the company culture that you guys have built it, it comes across on the product too. Um, and, and to be able to support, support your company that way, that's, that's huge. And, and especially in a, in a challenging time like this, I mean, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride for a lot of companies and, you know, to, to start a company and to go through a scaling process and have to navigate that. Um, it's kind of a curveball you don't see coming for sure. What's, so if somebody's kind of looking to take their life and, and make it a little bit more sustainable, they're kind of like, you know, I've been hearing a lot about the sustainability stuff and like, I don't know, I'm kind of on board with it, kind of not, but you know what, maybe I'll do my part. What do you, what do you think that somebody can do if they're, if they're looking to kind of just make small steps? What, what would you say to someone of like, Hey, maybe you should start, start with doing this. Um, I know it's, it's kind of an intangible problem that you don't quite see the whole picture of because very few people do. Here are some tangible things that you could do. Yeah. So I actually have been thinking about this recently for our employees and how we can help them make easier decisions and decisions that they know will have an impact. And so I, I bought this book just the other day called Regeneration. It's like a textbook. It's pretty it's pretty huge, but they have this cool thing in the back, which are called create a punch list. And basically you can create, you can go to their website, which is, I'm like totally plugging this thing that I haven't even read <laughs> anyway, but uh, it's called regeneration.org. And they have all these sample punch lists or like to-do lists to make your life more eco-friendly. And so there's like some things that we do that I also saw in here, but like a good example is set an annual goal for only buying seven durable garments for your clothes per year. So anyway, there's there's a lot of good examples in that book. So I wanted to share that because I'm planning to make one for for us as well. Some some things that we do at our house, um, me and my wife, who also works in nomadics. So she's a, a vegan. So there's like, and she's the most environmentally conscious person that I've ever met. Like she doesn't buy any leather she doesn't eat any animal products uh she doesn't like to wear wool um so like one of the biggest things is you could you know uh pay attention to where your food comes from eat less factory raised meat because that has a big carbon footprint day to day we like to look at our look at our trash and and turn down things that are optional so like for instance we get coffee every day but we we bring our own coffee cup. So we don't, you know, put that one cup of coffee in the trash every day. We try not to buy, if, if we buy clothes, this is kind of a minimalist thing, but like buy clothes that are either recycled or made from a product that will biodegrade. And then probably the most important thing is to either don't buy clothes or buy them, buy clothes that will last a long time and that are durable. Mm-hmm. I buy a lot of clothes that are like plain colors because you can you can wear them with everything and you need less stuff. We're starting to buy more biodegradable products. So like for instance, we're on our phones, we have uh, phone cases by Pella case, which is a case that you can stick in the compost and it will biodegrade. There's another interesting company um, that our friend owns called Bite Toothpaste Bits. 
it's all plastic free. And so instead of a toothpaste tube, you can get a little pellet of toothpaste and uh, pop it in your mouth and start brushing. And that way you don't have to use this plastic tube and they make um, plastic free floss and uh, they just started making plastic free deodorant, which I just bought and I'm getting ready to try. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's lots of like little steps in your life that you can take. And I would just, I would just start giving it a Google and saying, you know, what's, what are those things that I constantly throw out? Like, instead of getting the plastic bag at the grocery store for each individual, for your mushrooms and for your tomatoes and whatever, uh, we have these reusable bags um, also from a friend called sunshine series. And you know, you just bring those every time and then you don't have this collection of 15 bags every time you come home. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, I think that the important thing is to, is to take those steps and, um, you know, think about your day-to-day -day critically and you can just spend a weekend doing it and say, okay, let's, let's look at my day. Where does the trash come from? Where does my waste come from? And what are, and Google some solutions for it. And then once you get that, that habit formed, then you're really making a, a pretty significant impact. I mean, let's say even half the people were to stop doing one particular behavior, that adds up to a lot. And that's so much less plastic waste and other types of waste that will end up in the ocean and in landfills. And it's, it's waste that's really unnecessary if you buy reusable products or products that biodegrade or products that are made from waste, you know? Mm hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, especially the the spending a weekend and making a list. I I think that that's great thinking about it, you know, almost reverse engineering it, I think is, is genius. Cause I think a lot of times it's like, okay, well, I can buy more clothes that are, you know, more sustainable, but my other clothes are just fine. So it's kind of that where to start. And I think that that list is a super good way to do it um, and just work backwards. So for you, do you remember the first the first product that you purchased that were like, Hey, this is a, this is a consciously sustainable purchase that I'm making. Um, that is a good question. I think that I wasn't really thinking about it for a lot of my life. I mean, I would say like the stuff that I, the stuff that I remember, um, when I moved to California, like even when I was in Colorado, it didn't feel like it was as big. And that was, that was in 2008, 2009. Colorado is definitely, you know, today way more conscious of all this stuff. But I think when I moved to California and started um, like going to yoga for the first time and seeing what that audience uh, consumed, you know, everyone would walk around with their mason jars and they would, you know, they had like bamboo cutlery and like the yoga audience in California, at least the ones that, that I was hanging around in um, San Clemente, they were the, they were the most, uh, I think that's where I became like a little bit more conscious of all the different options. Like when you, when you'd go to a, a juice shop, like I had never had juice as it is here in, <laughs> in California until I moved to California, like vegetable juice, you know, that's a, it's a culture for sure. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, when you go there, they had all the products that were sustainable. And this was eight years ago, nine years ago. And so um, they just didn't do to go containers. They they would sell you your juice in a 
in a mason jar and ask you to bring it back. And so I think I think that was my first like memory of buying things that were that. I, I mean, I always knew about like recycled cardboard and we recycled growing up. And my parents were my parents were like the type of folks that would like drive their recycling really far away to recycle it before there was recycling, you know, pickup. So we always did stuff like that. But in terms of like buying things for mm-hmm. the purpose of of uh, reducing your waste or something. Yeah, I think it I think it was California that was the first um, time I was buying things for that. That's awesome. And so kind of next steps for you and nomadics i mean how can people kind of get involved with nomadics um engage with you guys purchase products i mean all that kind of stuff first of all you can you can go to our website which is nomadics.co or you can find us on instagram which is at nomadics co to interact with us and uh we care a lot about customer service and about interacting with everyone who talks to us so you can shoot us a direct message and we'll respond you can hit us up on Facebook and we'll respond. Our office manager is the one who responds to all those things. So like she sits right down the hall from me. All right, so our favorite way to interact with customers is when you buy your towel, you know, pick out the design that you like and, and that towel is yours and that's your thing now. We love to see when people go somewhere with the towel, when they show us the activities they do with the towel. So if you're going to go do yoga on your towel, or you're going to take your towel on a trip to the Bahamas or to Peru or to go to, you know, a hot spring in Washington state or something. We absolutely love it. If you send us a photo of that, or if you tag us and interact with us in some way, because we get those all the time. And it really, it makes the community so special for everyone to see. Basically you're going to inspire other people through what you're doing and it doesn't have to be the most amazing photo or the most amazing activity. It's like if you're just working out or you're just going on a hike locally or you're going somewhere exotic, all those things can inspire you know other people to live a more active life, a more eco-friendly life, more positive life. And so that's what that's what we would like to see is people sharing those 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 moments that they think will inspire other people. And where's, where's your favorite place to enjoy nature? I mean, you've, you've had the opportunity to travel literally all over the world, um, which I think is so cool by the way, but what, what's, what's your favorite place to enjoy nature? So I'll, I'll say my, okay. So my favorite place that I, that I ever went to enjoy nature was the Annapurna Trek in Nepal, because you go through so many different climates I don't know if climate's the right word, but so many different like environments on that trek. It was a 13-day trek. You're in the Himalayas, you go up to 17,000 feet or something like that. You hike through villages, you drink yak milk and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's also a really important place because it's as far away or as high up as you can get. Like Central Asia is is one of the most like one of the least visited by tourist places i don't know if nepal counts or not but um and you go on that hike and it's pristine and beautiful and you know you'll see the most beautiful vistas and you'll still see people throwing trash on the trail Mm -hmm. and polluting and and that kind of stuff and so 
I think that's why it's important to see. It's like, that's a place that needs to be protected, but that's, that's one of my favorite places like to wake up in a hut in the Himalayas and look out. And I remember there was like a blowing flag because the wind is blowing so crazy and it's freezing cold outside and you're going to wake up at 4am and just start hiking in the dark. And uh, it was just one of the coolest feelings I've ever felt. My, my, other favorite that I'll share, which is a little more tangible and easy for people to get to, is uh, I really love Medellin. Uh, so Medellin is called the city of eternal spring, and the climate is like perfect all the time. And that's a big city. It's two million people or so. But once you drive up the hill and go out of the city, you're in farmland, you're in really temperate kind of jungly stuff. And then there's also coffee farms and little towns the whole way through. And so that's also one of my favorite places. Colombia has one of the, the uh, like most exciting assortment of birds that migrate there and, and back up to North America. And so it's a really cool place to like look at birds and different types of plants and fruits and, and everything just grows there. It's amazing. That's so cool. And and the fact that you've been able to travel that much and the amount of hiking and very, very cold environments you've been in for long periods of time. So from the skiing to hiking the Annapurna Trail, I mean, you're in you're in California. It's it's quite warm there. Um, do you do you have like an affinity for for cold for cold weather in those environments? Because I mean, I think it kind of takes some mental strength to, you know, feel comfortable and enjoy those types of things. Yeah, well, I mean, I was 23 when I did the Annapurna Trek, or maybe 22, and so I think I had like a, I had like a certain resilience to whatever came my way at that time. But like, I do. Uh, so we live in San Clemente. This is a microclimate. It really doesn't actually get that hot here. It's like, kind of taps out at 80 most of the year, and then it's been like we didn't even get a heat wave this year. It's been like pretty much 75 the whole year, which is so it's not, it's not really hot here, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like going to cold, cold places. Um, but it's also where you see some of the best, some of the best stuff. Me and my partner Chase and one of our friends did a, a trek in Patagonia during the summer, but it was cold still. And, uh, I think, yeah, just like, you know, layering up and going on a hike and, and, uh, cooking your food in a, in a stove is it's just it's kind of the good stuff that's awesome and what's kind of your hope for the future of just sustainability in general you know how you want to see the world going in a direction yeah that's a big question huh <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> well my hope would be that we have some pretty clear issues that that could be addressed and it feels like we're not addressing them very quickly it's like not a priority for some folks that it should be a priority for um, I think that looking at industry, you know, manufacturing, you know, anything like steel or, you know, oil production or things like that. My, my hope is that consumers can, like everyone listening to this podcast, can start voting with their dollar and making it clear to their local governments and to their federal government and to, um, if you're abroad, to your to your government there, that these are your top priorities. You don't want to have these 
these fires and and floods and everything dominate life for the next like it's going to be a reality for our generation and probably for the next generation but it doesn't have to get worse and worse and worse forever it can mm-hmm. it can uh level out and come down and so um you know we we just had a kid and um so i think about what his life would be like in the future and uh you know i i think that i'm optimistic because there is a lot of change that you see almost monthly in terms of the products that are, are available and you know you look at e-bikes and you know if everyone started using e-bikes to commute that last mile that would be a big difference and so you know if every you know american cities aren't built for that necessarily um but some are and some could be more bike friendly and so yeah, I just think that consumers and, and regular people need to start making these small changes and changing changing their buying behavior and demanding more from their 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 coffee shops and their grocery stores and their and their government and and then things will change. Um, I think the small changes in everyone's lives absolutely matter and that if you make them, then the markets will will respond. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, Zach, thanks so much for just taking the time on this entire podcast, diving into nomadics, your product, your story. I think it's incredible for those that are listening. Go grab one of these towels. I mean, you're the moment you try one, you're going to be like, yeah, I, I need this every day in my life. Um, especially if you live an outdoor life. Um, it, it is literally the one towel solution. So, I mean, Zach, thank you so much for your time on all this. And I'm just so so grateful that you took the time to to discuss everything, and I'm really excited for the future of Nomadics. Um, I think you guys got a lot of really exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for giving uh, you know brands and people like us a, a platform to share some of our thoughts here. Hopefully, it was uh, it was valuable to some people, and um, I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Zach was great to have on the show and share the story of Nomadics. Their products are seriously amazing and the only towel that you'll ever need. Links to their store and socials will be in the show notes below, or if you happen to be in an REI, check them out there. And if you've been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. Your support goes a long way, and the more that the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. So thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.